talking about the test of ministry preparation. And uh, we're going to have a lot to cover here, and so we're just going to go ahead and get started. Let's look at, um, we have a lot of scriptures to look up. I got the cheat sheet from Maria. Thank you, Maria, um, because we'd be here all night if I had to look these up. So you may have to just listen and look them up later. But it starts with Exodus 20:20, and it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And then let's look at 1 Timothy 3.10 says, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. And what the Lord showed me in those two scriptures is the one in Exodus is talking about being tested by God. And the scripture in Timothy is obviously you're being tested within the body, within the local church. Somebody is watching you and testing you to see if you have a heart to be a server and to be a deacon. So the introduction says, if, key word there, if you truly desire to serve the Lord in whatever capacity he assigns you, this lesson will be of great comfort. It will be reassuring to understand some of the tests of God that lie before you. It will be encouraging to know that he uses these tests to build and grow you, not to tear you down. That's kind of like my favorite scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, when he has to say, I have plans for you, not to hurt you. <laughs> he, has, he says that. Why does he say that? Because sometimes it feels like he's hurting us. Doesn't a test sometimes feel like, ouch, God, do you know what you're doing? But this is assuring us that it's to grow us up. It's not to harm us, okay? You know that God has a very special and unique preparation for each one of us as leaders. Testing of that preparation is the final step, and it often comes in the middle of the most active ministry. Why do you have to be tested? Doesn't God already know if you're ready to minister? Of course he does. <laughs> the problem is we don't know. We need to know about the things that are in our hearts. The very act of testing is itself the final preparation and can drive you into the deeper relationship with God as nothing else can. A lot of our college graduates are home. Um, my mind just went blank. <laughs> Sam. Sam Bearden is home, and I know our, our uh, College of Charleston students, they took their final exams. And, you know, a final exam proves that you have learned what you were supposed to learn. You know, when Pastor graduated from seminary, what was that, a six-hour oral exam that you had to stand in front of all the professors? And, uh, and they could ask you anything that you had ever learned throughout, you know, college and seminary. Anything was open game. I can't even imagine that kind of pressure. And uh, having to just stand before a board. And, and you know what? And if you didn't pass, they didn't give you a license to be a, a, to be a minister. It wasn't like, okay, well, everybody's going to just get, ask some questions and then you get it no matter what. No, if you didn't know the answers, you don't get to go ahead. And I think, you know, that's a concept that we have lost in America because in our public school system, they just pass you along anyway. And, you know, and, and I think we think that God's like that. God is not a public school teacher. God is a God that says, if you don't know it, you don't get to go ahead. So tonight's lessons and tests that I'm going to talk about, please listen with those, with those thoughts in mind. Uh, a test is not a moment when you are learning. I talked about this in my, in my Connect group last night. When a teacher hands you a test, it's not time now to ask questions. The questions are over. She's done talking. This is a time to see and for you to demonstrate what you have already learned. 
And the thing about God is that if you didn't learn what you needed, he'll let you take a retest. Over and over and over again, he will let you go around that mountain and keep taking that test. I want to learn it on test one. Okay? I'm sure you do too. A test is any means which he himself knows will determine the presence, quality, or genuineness of his call on someone's life. A test examines the true inner attitudes and motives of those whom he calls to show whether they are pure or not. Now, we're assuming that these tests are given to those of you, you're here for leadership training, because you know that God has called you into this body and you want to be used by God to be able to bring in the lost and to disciple people. All right, so that's, that's a given. You already know that. Now the question is, will you let God teach you some hard things? John Bevere, even last night in our video we were watching in my class, he said, you know, this is what he used to think. He used to think that the, God, the promise of God for John Bevere was up here. And John was down here. And he thought, all he thought was, you just have to go, and you'd be right up there to your promise. But that's not the way it worked. He said, I was here, and I had to go over here and go through this crucible. Then I had to go through this wilderness, and then I had to go down here, and I had to be tested. And then, obviously, I didn't pass the test. So God sent me over here to this wilderness. And then this crucible. And this, and this cave where I was hidden for years. And then God let me be tested again. And that time I passed. And then I got to go to the promise. That's the way God works. We have the little timeline I think you have there in your, in your notes. We have a lot of time and distance between the vision and the fulfillment of that. So let's look at what some of these tests are and how we're going to get this accomplished in our lives. The first one is the time test. I'm going to have to talk real quickly here. Romans 4, 17 through 20. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This is to Abraham. In the presence of, whom, of him whom he believed, God, who, live, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And this is my favorite scripture that I quoted for Kalen. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he is also able to perform. All right, so we have that promise. But this test, the time test, is what it looks like in all outward appearances that God does not seem to be fulfilling the promise that he gave you. Just like with Abraham. 25 years he waited for Isaac. Have you ever had to wait for 25 years for anything? I haven't yet. I, I hope I don't have to wait 25 years for any promise, but, you know, some of you may have. The time test tries a leader's patience forcing him to trust God to fulfill his call and ministry in his own time and way. Pastor talked about this Sunday. The thing that we love God, we, 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 are, we wouldn't be here if we didn't love God on a Wednesday night. But the thing that aggravates him about God is his timing. He seems to take a long time, but the purpose of these tests that he gives us is to give an, the leader, us, an opportunity to grow in our faith. And I'm not going to read these, these notes verbatim, but you know what? We can't lead people unless we're a couple of steps ahead of them. You may only have to be two steps ahead of them. 
You don't have to be 100 steps ahead of them to be a leader. But that means you're probably going to have to have gone through some tests and some trials that the people underneath you have not faced yet. Because if you hadn't, when they ask you, what are you going to say? I don't know. I've never had to go through that. Now, I don't have to go through every test to understand what you've gone through. But within this body, we're probably going to have all, at least one of us, faced something that you're going to face. And we can help one another through it. So do not despise the times of testing. Um, C, the time test also purifies a leader's motives and attitudes. During these times of delay, a leader can see how his own impure, selfish, or proud motives and attitudes can cloud his desires before the Lord. God desires transparent motives and attitudes in each of his leaders. I was talking to one of my leaders this week, and she, was, she and I were talking about how that God tests us and how that we think we know our motives and we think that we have pure motives. And she told me about a story when she, um, she wanted to prove to people, and she was praying and saying, God, but I'm going to give you the glory. And when I get this job, Lord, I'm going to give you the glory. But down deep in her heart, the Lord had to reveal to her, she kind of had a little bit of a, I'm going to show those people. I'm going to show this. I'm telling you, I had that for a long time. I had that, you know, Lord, help us build a great church so they can see that you have not forsaken us. You know, I mean, you know, but see, God, God's got to deal with that. And that's why time has to pass because you think you, you know yourself. What is the scripture that says the heart is deceitful and wicked in its ways? Who can know it? We think we know our heart, and God has to give us time enough to see that our heart is impure. All right. Um, no, uh, letter D. In the time test, God proves himself to be a miracle-working, faithful God to everyone he has called at the service of, of his kingdom. A uh, real quick story. When our boys were little, they used to love for Kevin and I to tell them the stories about, Mom and Daddy, tell us the stories when y'all didn't have any money and you had to live off $5 for two weeks. You know, and we'd tell them the stories about when we were in seminary and we ate expired macaroni and cheese and a loaf of bread and jelly for a week for two weeks you know and we did it you know and it's it's great to tell that story you know and then and then he wanted to tell us to tell him the story about when um we moved to Spartanburg and we were so poor oh my lord we were poor and the bill collectors were calling us all the time and we didn't have any money to pay our bills and we literally went one year without buying anything but groceries and paying our rent and utilities. And my pantyhose, and ladies, this is back in the day when you had to wear pantyhose to work every day. It wasn't optional. My pantyhose, one pair of pantyhose, lasted an entire year. That was the Lord. Now, how many women, is that not the Lord? That is the Lord, okay? <laughs> and so they would want to hear these stories, and they would say, oh, tell us those stories. And I never forget, Clayton got to Hillsong in Australia. And we had already sacrificed financially as, as a family to send him to Australia. And he had to get a job, and he got a job at the mall at the Sunglass Hut. Well, he was there about two months, and the Sunglass Hut went out of business. And he called home, and he said, I can't find a job anywhere. I need money. I'm starving. Well, for one thing, we didn't have any money to send him because we had already given all our money to him to get to Australia and pay his tuition. But another thing is, I, I remember being on the phone with him, and he was crying, and I was crying. And I said, Clay, honey, you love to hear mom and daddy's faith stories, but God's going to give you one right now. 
God's going to give you your own faith story that someday you will tell your children how that you followed God's call to Sydney, Australia, and how you didn't have any money, but God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And you know what? It happened. And it did happen. And God did provide for him. So those are the things that God gives us those time tests. And he doesn't give us what we want when we want it because we've got to have those times that we can look back and go, my God is faithful because he was faithful back then. So this, what I'm going through today, is no big deal. All right. Point two, the word test. Uh, Psalm 105, 17 through 19 says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. All right. The word of the Lord tested him. In the word test, the leader experiences circumstances that seem to nullify the written or living word of God. Have we ever felt that? Like, Lord, but your word says, or I had this prophetic word spoken over me, and what is going on? That's how we feel. It's, I'm going to skip ahead. Many feel that because they have been filled and called by God's Spirit, they should never experience darkness or confusion as long as they do not fall into sin. Can I just say, I don't know where anybody came up with that idea. I have heard someone just recently say, oh, if you go through anything, that the Holy Spirit would never send something on you to test you. I'm like, have you read your Bible? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. All right? Everybody in the Bible, the reason we read the Bible and we, and we are inc encouraged by their stories is because they have gone through such terrible stuff and still made it. All right, so God is going to cause that to happen to us. And this is what I want us to be careful of. If, if you have done it, and the Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind right now if you have. If you have ever made a judgment where you have looked at somebody and they have been going through a terrible time. And the first thing you said was, mm -mm -mm. they must have sin in their life. Because then look at what's going, what's happening to them. Sometimes you go through a test, y'all, and it's not because you have sin in your life. If you do have sin in your life, you need to repent. But if you don't have sin in your life, it's just a test. <laughs> and you know those, the, the, the TV spots that used to come on, this is just a test. If this were a real emergency, you would be given further information. Okay, so if God isn't giving you any further information... This is just a test. Don't freak out. And for heaven's sakes, don't fall into judgment of one another when your brother or sister are going through a test. Pray for them, but do not judge them. Okay. Um, but, the word, but the word test is no accident. In fact, God purposely allows contrary situations in a leader's life and ministry. No leader is exempt from these times of trial and misunderstanding. Whew. During the word test, God has not forgotten or contradicted his promise, but he desires to accomplish the certain purposes that are yet totally unknown to the leader. If the leader endures with patience, woo, Cindy's class, fruit of the spirit, trust and obedience, he will eventually find himself rejoicing in the Lord's wisdom and skill in the planning and use of these seemingly antagonistic experiences. But here's the question. Will we be offended? And who do we get offended at? This is what. We'll either get offended at God and say God is a liar and he doesn't keep his promises. Or we'll get offended at the person that prophesied over us and we'll say, oh, well, they're just a false prophet. Or we'll get offended at the pastor because obviously he's keeping me from my destiny. 
or we'll get offended at our husband or our wife or our children or whoever we can point to and say it's their fault rather than just, first of all, looking at ourselves and seeing, is there anything in my life that I do need to repent of? And if not, then it's just a test. And the Lord is trying to work the fruit of the spirit in my life. But that's a, that's a test that right, that right there is, some, is something is the hardest is to not want to blame. Blame shifting is so easy. Let me tell you, no man, woman, child, or devil can keep you out of the will of God. God is bigger than anything you are ever facing. The question is, will you be offended? Because as pastor said Sunday, you can't hurry up the season you're in, but you can sure delay it. And we delay it by getting offended. And the way that we don't delay it is through humility, you said on Sunday, and faithfulness. And a lot of humility is looking at ourselves and saying, where am I wrong? What do I need to buck up on? What is the Lord trying to teach me? Okay, third, the character test. First Samuel uh, chapter 2 and 3, obviously I'm not going to read this, but that's the story of Eli, the priest, and his sons, Phinehas and Hophni. And they were sinful boys. They were in the temple. They were having sex with women as they came into the temple. Can you imagine? I'm just like trying to picture that. I'm like, and the dad knows about it, and he will not address it. How many of us know of stuff that's going on in the lives of our families, in our own households, and we don't want to deal with it? Okay, definition of a character test. In the character test, the leader is surrounded by ungodliness that attempts to pull him in its direction. The leader may be tempted to sin, now listen, in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Now that pretty much covers everything. Now think about this. How many of us have ever heard of an awesome man or woman of God who started out loving the Lord and then fell morally, financially, they stole money, or they just began to believe their own press? You see, the lust of the flesh, they fell into sexual sin. The lust of the eyes, they fell into financial mispropriety. Or the pride of life. You just get haughty and you just start thinking, you know what, I am all that. All that stuff that people say about me, it is true. I am pretty cool. And I'm telling you, the Lord won't deal with it. He, he ain't going to put up with that. He's going to have to deal with that. Just think of the great men and women of God. I mean, we read the biography of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. You know, they started out as a really sweet, precious young couple right out of Assembly of God College. who Their heart was to win the lost. And that God gave them the idea of having a television station that would be the first one to preach the gospel all over the world. That was their idea. But you know, pretty soon they started believing their own press. And they started believing that they could get by with things because of who they were. And we all know what happened. So we have to be careful and let God deal with the character. Uh, the purpose of the character test shows to the leader the areas of weakness in his own personality. When God brings a situation into a leader's life which requires much patience, he realizes he must call on more of God's grace. Every leader has hidden character deficiencies of which he is totally unaware until confronted with a specific situation that demands a godly response. To expose his own true inward self to every leader God uses the character test. Now listen, 
God wants to test you. I know I have to stay here. Sorry. God wants to test you privately. His desire is not to have to have it announced on the news. God does not want you to be Jim Baker. He doesn't want you to be Ted Haggard. He wants to speak to you privately, right there, to his, expose his own true inward self. But if you won't listen, God is more determined in changing you than he is in covering you. All right? So let's be listening to him. The character test also motivates a leader to stand up boldly against the powers of darkness around him. Too many leaders are shy about proclaiming the truth. Aren't you glad we don't have a pastor like that? Our pastor will take it all on. He will say it. He will, he will blog it. He will Facebook it. He, he will say the truth. You know what? Because he understands that he's doing it for an audience of one. Sure, he would love to have 5,000 people sitting out here too, just like every pastor would. But it not for the sake of telling the truth. He's not going to lie or back up on the word to get a crowd. Okay? So that's a character test. All right, let's go to the motivational test. Um, Numbers 22 through 24 is the story of Balaam and Balak. And I won't go into all that, but remember, Balaam was a prophet who was asked to prophesy against God's people for a price. So the question is, what is our motivation? This is a heavenly examination in which God exposes to the leader, once again, God's wanting to do this privately, with what inner and outer forces influence his decision-making process. God will arrange situations. Did you hear that? On purpose. God will arrange situations to reveal a leader's true inner intentions, his thoughts, values, and priorities that cause him to make choices or act a certain way. I had to circle that word, act. Why do I act a certain way? I've told some of my ladies this. I used to walk around out there on Sunday mornings like a chicken with my head cut off. I used to run around thinking I had to talk to everybody. I had to compliment every, everybody on what they had on because that was what pastor's wives do. And I wanted to be the good pastor's wife. And one day, I basically flattered somebody. It wasn't the truth. They didn't look good in that dress. But I just said something because I, I felt like I had to say something. Now, I'm not saying you ever walk up to somebody and go, were you lied to when you put that dress on? <laughs> don't say that. But, you know, what? I, I mean, you don't have to flatter somebody, if you, you know, just to be nice. But I did it, and as the words came out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit said to me, if you flatter them to keep them, to, to get them to love you, you'll have to flatter them to keep them. Stop performing for these people. You see, I even had to look and see, what was my motivation for being nice? Can you actually be m nice with a wrong motivation? Yeah. You can do, you could try to be everybody's best friend when really you're, you're just, you look stupid. I mean, the Lord actually, I, like I had this out-of-body experience and I saw myself running around looking like an idiot. And that, it, he, like, that's not attractive. I don't know who you think you're impressing, but you're not impressing anybody. So stop it. All right. We have to examine ourselves. And I said this to my ladies last night. Um, if there's anything in the email that they sent out about you that's true, even if seven-eighths of it is a lie, if one-eighth of it is the truth, 
you need to examine that. You see what I'm saying? If people are against you and they want to write an ugly letter about you or start gossiping about you, and, and you say, oh, well, that's just not, that is not my character. That is not my character. Is any of it true? And I had to look one time at my life and go, okay, well, all that's a lie, but that, well, yeah, I guess I did do that. Now, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to say, well, and just be prideful, or am I going to say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for that test. You see, that's how it's going to come. You're going to be faced with something that you probably fail at, y'all. We don't learn through our successes. We learn through our failures. And then when it smacks us up the side of the head and we have to, we either have a choice. We'll either go, that's a lie, or else we'll go, well, okay, yeah, I guess that's, some of that's true. And then we have a choice. We will either get bitter or we get better. John Bevere said this last night. You cannot go through an offense in life and remain the same. Every offense will either build your character or you're going to get bitter. So make a choice. Every day you're going to have a chance to be offended. I told Pastor that today, I said, boy, we're going to have a lot of chances for growth. At least one a day. Wow. Just think what I'm going to look like by next week. Okay. All right. The servant test is uh, 1 Kings 19.21 says, So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Okay, and the other scripture is about Elisha being a servant as well. The servant test. (laughs) A man is asked to do menial tasks that seem below his high calling in God. No menial task is below any true servant of God. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I was talking about the correction, um, the correction test when Pastor was uh, in the other ser- series and he asked me to teach. Well, let me just say, this man right here, he, he worked in the nursery at Evangel Cathedral when he was on staff of a church of 2,500 people. He wasn't too good to work in the nursery. You know? And there's times just in case nobody knew this, there are times that the babysitters for sale can't show up. So, you know what? I work in the nursery for on sale night. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that hard. I enjoy being in there with those kids. So, you see, nobody is too good to work in the nursery. Okay? All right. Um, then this verse in Acts 6, 1 through 6. Let me just read this to you. This is the, this is the scripture. Well, I won't read it all. This is the scripture where they're chosen to be deacons because the disciples are too busy. And they're saying, we need to be able to spend more time in prayer. Now, first of all, Pastor, as I was reading that, I thought, there'd be church people who'd go, so when do you get to decide that you get to just pray all the time? That you don't have to do nothing else? Like, who, who died and made you God? Okay, so that's the first attitude that they didn't have in Acts. Because when the disciples said, we need to not be serving tables anymore, we need to be praying, the people didn't get their panties in a wad. That was the first miracle that happened. And then it says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business of serving tables. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And one of the first guys they chose was Stephen, who ended up being the first martyr. Now, 
try to wrap this around your charismatic mind. How many charismatics and <laughs> do you know, other than the precious people of legacy, who would say, I am the one that is Holy Spirit. I have wisdom. See, that's what they looked for. They didn't look for just any old body who breathes. They said, look for men who love the Lord with all their heart, are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and ask them to serve the tables. So they even realized that to even do any serving of even serving the tables in the church, you should be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We're just not looking for a body. And you see, the amazing thing was that those seven men didn't go, are you kidding me? I am full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I cannot be serving a table. I need to be teaching the class. I need to be the one in there praying. You guys need to be out here serving the table. You see, you see why the first century church grew and, and just exploded? Because that pride element was dead in them. They had a servant's heart. Okay. The servant test reveals whether a ministry's motivation is simply to be in the public eye and receive service or if he truly desires to help and serve. Those in authority over that ministry will see how well he passes that test. And how will they do that? God may instruct authorities over a ministry to use this test on purpose to discern, to discern the person's commitment to service. That means, and I know this happened to us at Evangel, when your pastor specifically asks you, I want you to be the one to do all the dishes after the event. Oh, me? Just like with other people? Oh, no, no, just you. Oh, like for like hundreds of people? Yeah, just you. You ever had that happen to you? That'll test you. And it was an on-purpose test, and I hated it. But you see, that's, that's what they did in Acts chapter 6. That's what it takes to be promoted, is to be tested. That's why it's called a test, because it doesn't feel good. Okay? So if, if you say, well, they did that to me on purpose. Yes, they did. They did it to you on purpose to see how you would respond. All right. Um, can I just say this? I was up here on this worship team for how many years? Y'all know. Till my son came back from Hillsong and he put me down. He said, Mama, uh-uh. No. The way you sing, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. That's old school. No. We, we, we going on, Mama. God's doing a new thing. And you ain't in it. Okay? So I'm just telling you, there have been people in this church who have left this church because they got put down from that worship team. Well, bless God, I'm still right here on the front row and I got put down too. Okay? Okay? Grow up. Do you want this church to be filled with young people or do we want this church to be filled with 40 and 50 year olds? I mean, I know we're all the 40 and 50 year olds, but you know what? I want the Brad and Natalie's. I want the Laura's. I want the Robert and Rachel's. I want the, well, Will's old, but we got Christy. <laughs> okay, that was a test. That was a test, man. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, 
We want Heather and, and Leanna. You see, we want these young people to come into this church, but yet we want, the, we want to keep the old ways up here. No, y'all. We got to, we got to, the cloud is moving, y'all. We got to follow the cloud. And if that means the good old gospel singing mama can't be up there no more, then that's, Kevin wants me to sing. He's God on the mountain. No, no. My daddy, when I was up in Spartanburg, he's like, oh, let's sing some songs. And I was like, oh, dear Lord Jesus. I forgot how bad it was until I started singing with my dad. Okay. So, um, yes, we are beyond that. God is moving on. Thank the Lord. Okay. Okay. Uh, this test also reveals that, you know what? Pastors, just like I said, we need to, we need to realize that we're not bigger and better than everybody else. That man right there appreciates Lisa Stone, who cleans this church. Well, you know why? Because he was the janitor. And I'm telling you, I am so blessed. Dan Bearden, and I know Brian Stone, I don't want to leave anybody else out, but we got men who have signed up to work in Little Fishers. I'm like, that is rocking. Isn't that awesome? They are working. They're saying, you know what? I want to get in there. I want to help with those little kids. I think that is awesome. You see, God could do that. Remember Rick Ritter's article from a couple of weeks ago when he said he was at that? Did you read that supplemental article that Pastor gave you about how he went to that church and he thought he was going to be on staff? And they pulled him in and they said, we've got a job for you to do, a ministry for you. And he was like, mm, I know they're going to ask me to preach. It's going to be great. We want you to vacuum the church. You have to, you have to be here all day on Saturday. It'll take you all day to do it vacuum the church. Of course, he didn't say that to him. Oh, oh, yeah. He said he was for a year. Remember, he was mad. He's in there vacuuming. And he's so mad. But finally, God began to, to break him and to reveal to him that that was pride in his heart. And it was, I think it was either a year or two. And they, he, every Saturday, y'all, vacuuming the church. When he had a call in his life, I'm talking Rick Renner, the one that we read every morning for our devotions that can Greek you from here till Jesus comes, okay? That man, he was, he was vacuuming the church. But you see what God, where he's blessed him and what he's taken him to because he broke, his will broke. And he said, I will be a servant and I will do whatever I'm asked to do. All right. I'm just telling you, pastor is a senior, is a better senior pastor. And for those of you on staff here, you, you can appreciate this. He's a better senior pastor because he was a staff pastor. If you've ever had to be the one that had to do the dirty dog stuff, you make a better senior pastor. And I know I make a better pastor's wife now that I've had to work a full-time job. Because when I was a pastor's wife and I never had to work, and I get, I get aggravated at these women who didn't show up for Bible study at night. I'm like, what do you mean you're tired? How tired can you be? You know what? I had to go to work with two little kids and put them in daycare and then scream their head off. And me have to go home and fix dinner because we didn't have any money that year to ever go out to eat. And then still get back to church at 7 o'clock for Bible study. And be happy when I got there. Because I was a staff pastor's wife. I, you know what? You do that and you start appreciating women a lot more who work full time. So everything we go for, go, have to go through is for a reason if we will let God teach us. Once again, you're either going to get better or you're going to get bitter. You have a choice. Okay, real quick. The wilderness test. I um, have to get through this really fast. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3 says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of the Lord which swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, 
and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you could keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know the will, know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. I heard a guy on the radio the other day say they were having manna sandwiches, manna, manna soup, manna cotty. I thought, oh, that was good. That was a good, that was a good joke. Okay, so sometimes we feel like that when God first supplies things for us, we think, oh, that's so great. But after about six months of that, okay, we're ready for God to go on and do something new. You ever been there? Now, this particular test is talking about those of you, and I don't know how many of this pertains in this room, but this is particularly talking about people who know that they have a call on their life, but for some reason it hasn't opened yet, the door hasn't opened, and it gets real frustrating. Because you begin to think either you missed God, you didn't hear God, he lied to you, or... You know, somebody's holding you back, all that kind of... This is kind of like all these other tests wrapped into one. Um, this is like the Rick Renner or pastor when he was a janitor. Oh, man. This was, this was you. This is the test you went through when we were in seminary. I mean, I would go to that school. I worked, I worked until 530. I'd drive in from Kansas City, drive home, go to the school where he was already cleaning. He worked from 3 to 1130 every night cleaning the school. And I would show up, and he would be in there mopping the floors or cleaning the nasty bathrooms where little boys had done terrible things in. And, um, and some, you know, some nights he would be fine, but I remember walking in there and him just be on the floor crying. Just crying and saying, God, is this all there is? I thought you called me. I thought I heard you. Was I mistaken? Am I doing something wrong? Is there sin in my life? But, you know, the good thing about God, at least in our life, he doesn't let things change for us until the test is done. You know, he tried to get other jobs. He tried to go get preaching. And it really, it wasn't until he died to that desire. And he said, Lord, I submit that the very, about two months later, on the bulletin board at school, at the seminary, was a pastoring job at a little country church, two little country churches that was just for the weekend. And he was able to quit that janitor job after, what, three, three and a half years you were there? Three and a half years of crying out to God. Y'all, I'm not talking 30 days. I'm not 60, talking 60 days. I'm talking three and a half years of cleaning up vomit and poo-poo. Knowing that you know Greek fluently and that you have more education than even the principal in that school. And yet they treat you like you're the idiot janitor. And yet, he did it. And I watched him. And believe me, I was just as mad as he was. But when we finally died to that, we got those two churches, and he was able to quit that job. And we went and pastored those two little churches for, for the last year and a half of seminary. And it was awesome. And we learned so many things. So God's going to give you a test of the wilderness. Um, the test also teaches the leader how to discern whether the Lord alone sustains his spiritual life or he draws his ministry activity to sustain his relationship. Well, this, is, this is what this means. If you're not preaching and you're not leading a cell, do you still have your devotions? You see what I'm saying? If nobody's going to need you to have an answer to something, are you still in the Word? 
Are you still hungering after the Lord? Or is it just because you're going to have to come up with something to teach that you're in the word and that you're reading books? God also uses the wilderness test to strip the leader of all the wisdom and ways of the world (laughs) and to teach him the ways of his spirit. Every leader must learn that God's ways are different from his own. Sometimes the best way to learn this is through dry and lonely desert experiences. I laugh at my leaders and they know that this is in fun that I do this. I said, I think it's just so great to watch y'all be a connect leaders because, you know, y'all used to all know how to do it and how to tell me how to do it. Everybody thinks they know exactly what, how to be, the, how to be a, a leader of a Bible study. Oh, I would do this. I would do this. And I know there are people that think, you know, if you're a really good pastor's wife, you will call everybody that misses every Sunday and, and you will t- take them out to lunch and you will do all this. And somebody thought that and they went and did it. And guess what? That don't make people show up on Sunday either. They just get a free lunch out of it. You see, we all think we know how to do it. How many of us thought we knew how to raise kids when we didn't have any? I used to sit in places and go, if that was my kid, I'd beat the snot out of him. And then God gave me Clayton. Oh, really? And then I found out that beating the snot out of him didn't make him stop. <laughs> okay? So, you know, it's always easy to think we know know how to do anything. I know how to be a pastor of a church. I know how to be a school teacher. I know what I'd do if I was a teacher in my kid's class. Oh, really? Well, why don't you just go in there and help one day? See how easy it is. Okay. All right. The misunderstanding test. Hebrews 12, 3 says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And I have to admit, I wrote down here, Sinners? What about church people? (laughs) Okay? Jesus went through, and we have to remember that what Jesus went through when he dealt with people um, is what the same thing. You know, we go through that, and we want to quit, but we can't quit. Jesus didn't quit, and we can't quit. Even though pastors, oh, when pastors get together, which we're having all the remnant pastors here tomorrow for prayer time, so y'all remember that, please. Be praying for that. But, um... We, you know, the big joke is every Monday we all resign, you know, because whatever, whatever happened on Sunday, you're just like, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. You know, um, thank God we don't do that anymore. But, but, you know, that's the joke of pastors because you know what? It is discouraging sometimes, you know, but you know, as a leader, how many of you cell leaders have called me and go, it's just discouraging. I feel like I'm doing it all right. And not, nobody showed up last night. I mean, it's kind of sad when you have 12 in your group and you, and you have cell and there's two people show up. And one of them's you. You know, and, and, and you think, oh, well, that's not a big deal. People just were probably busy. Well, that's not what the enemy tells you. The enemy tells you, oh, my gosh, what did you say last week? That was so wrong. You See, you're not good. See, you're just not good. See, Beverly's better. Maria's better. See, how many people they have their cell last week? You see, that's the junk that the enemy does. And unless you've ever sat in their chair or sat up there, you don't know what it's like and what the enemy does. So the misunderstanding test, I want you to listen to this. I'm going to say, I'm going to preach it the way it's taught here, but I want you to get it from both sides. It says the test of misunderstanding occurs when those hearing a leader do not receive or they reject the current meaning he is trying to communicate. People may misinterpret or mistake the true significance of his actions, words, attitudes, or motives. 
Sometimes there's just no easy way to say some things. You can couch it. You can cover it around. You can come around back ways and try to, you know, do two positive comments before you have to bring the correction. You, you can do all those little things that you learn in all those classes, and you still are going to tick somebody off when you have to say it to them. Okay? So the purpose of this test is it causes a leader to look for new or better ways of bringing across his feelings. And that is exactly what we need to. As leaders, we don't need to just go, well, you know what? I'm just going to say it. And if they don't like it, they're just going to get over it. That's not godly of us as leaders to be that way. But sometimes sheep need to just cut us some slack. Because unless you have been put on the spot, you know, it's like pastor and I don't sit around going, let's see. Who can we offend today at church? And this is how we're going to do it. You see, I'm going to say this. Then you come up behind me and you say that. And man, let's, you know, let, let's put them to the test. Okay, nobody does that. Your connect leader doesn't do that. They aren't looking for a way to offend you. But the thing is, sometimes life just happens. You get pulled into something. You had no preparation that you were even walking into it. And so, yeah, the words out of your mouth may not have been something you would have written down if you'd had two hours to think about it. But it's a misunderstanding, and it's a test. And it's not only a test for leaders so that we can say, you know what, Lord, if I don't have the right words to say, maybe I just need to just say, you know what, I don't know. I'm going to have to walk away right now. But for those of you who are in training to be leaders, just realize that sometimes people just have an off day. You have an off day, don't you? And you want people to be understanding of you. And so we just need to be merciful to one another. A leader must trust the ministry of the Holy Spirit to quicken the truth of what he is communicating. You can, some days, just like last night, and those of you who are in my cell are probably going to come up to me afterwards and go, oh, it was great. But I'm just telling you, I walked out of there and I thought, I don't, I just don't know if I connected. I don't know if what I was saying was like over their head. Was I like, was I like on a more of a pastor level than a sheep level? Did I, you know, did I say it right? And, and you think, oh, it was fine. It was fine. You don't know that you can go home and like for the rest of the night and for the, all through the night and the next morning, you, that, that's on your mind. You just blew it. You blew it. That was just a wasted week. Oh, my Lord. They didn't get anything out. Did you see a look on their faces? They just looked at you like, duh. Uh, and you think that. And until you've ever had to sit there on the other side of the table, you just need to be merciful. Okay? Um, the test of misunderstanding is especially humbling to leaders because it involves those who are very dear and close to the leader. You see, you won't get offended. John Bevere says you don't get offended unless you care about the person that said something to you. If you don't give a flip if that person likes you or not, it doesn't offend you that they said something stupid to you. But it's when it's somebody that you love or somebody that you thought you were friends with, then you're like, oh, and it causes you to begin to doubt yourself. But that's, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because we need to always be refining ourselves and asking the Lord, Lord, help me that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we don't have ugliness in our heart, it won't come out our mouth. Now, that's hard. That's a hard one to swallow. And believe me, I've had to swallow that pill a couple times. Because you think, well, I was just forced into saying something. Well, you know what? If it hadn't been in my heart, it wouldn't have come out my mouth. So deal with it, Tracy. Um, 
This is my last illustration. Pastor's wife, friend of mine in this city, told me this story. This is so sad. She's at a denominational church, and, you know, I guess people don't leave denominational churches like they, like they leave other, I don't know. These people are still at her church, and they've been mad at her for five years. She was in Belk one day. This is the story. This lady walks up to her at church, a deacon's wife, and says, How dare you be ugly to me at Belk? And she's like, at Belk? At Belk? What? Were you at Belk? You were at Belk yesterday. Yeah, yes, ma'am, I was at Belk yesterday. I was at Belk. You saw me. You looked right at me, and you didn't say anything to me. And my friend said, no, oh, no, ma'am, I, I did not see you. Yes, yes, you did. I know you did because you looked right at me. And they went, mm. And she said, I, I, I promise you, I did not see you at Belk. I promise. And then she said to her, if you saw me, why didn't you come over and speak to me? Because it's not my place. You're the pastor's wife. You're supposed to be on duty all the time. And I said to my friend, I said, bless your heart, did she leave the church? She said, are you kidding me? No. I just sit there right there and look at her every Sunday. And now she has all her family over there who now hate my guts and won't speak to me either. And I said, oh, bless your heart. I mean, that's, no, in that case, I'd be thanking God they left, okay? Um, but, you see, people don't understand. Can you imagine, y'all, can you imagine that kind of expectation being put on you on a daily basis? Pastor and I were in the car two months ago, and my phone rang, and I answered it. It was somebody who had left this church four years ago, four years ago, y'all, and says to me, why won't you be my Facebook friend? Now, let me just tell you. I, I hesitated because I was like, I wasn't sure <laughs> that what was in my heart should come out my mouth. So I did hesitate. And I said, um, and this is true. This is true. I said, because the Lord told me, and this is true, to only have Facebook friends of people at Legacy or people from Evangel Cathedral. That I, you know, I don't have old boyfriends from high school. I don't have any of that, okay? I don't. I do, just recently, some of the girls from my high school class, because our 30th year reunion is coming up, and they've befriended me. So that's other than that. And so I told her that. And she says to me, well, I saw you at the mall, and you wouldn't speak to me. I said, when? I did not see you at the mall. Oh, yes, you did. It was basically the same story as the Belk story. And I was like, honey, no, I did not. I said, honey, if I see you at, Bel if I see you at the mall, come up and hug my neck. Because I would love to see you and see the children and how, how much they've grown. And then I was trying to meet up, and then she goes, So, back to the Facebook. Will you be my friend? I said, Honey, I'm not mad at you. That, I'm, that's not why I'm not being your Facebook friend. As I said, Legacy Evangel Cathedral, that's, the, that's all I'm doing. But I'm just telling you that misunderstanding, it's a test. Now, the enemy would love for us to act like that toward each other. Pastor and I, and I'll just, I'm closing with this. Pastor and I realized just in the last month or so, 
And it was actually through the John Bevere lesson. As the Lord showed me revelation that Saul hated David. Not because of what David did or said. But what somebody said about David. The women said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David didn't say that. Saul was jealous and he hated him. And it said, as in his heart, that day began the day he decided he was going to kill him. Pastor and I realized just in the last few months that there had been an underlying offense in our lives that we took hold of because of what somebody said another pastor in this city said about us. How many times have you done that? You have picked up somebody else's offense or you have believed when Susie went up to Amy and said, Amy, so-and-so said da-da-da-da-da-da about you. You didn't hear them say it. You don't know that she isn't embellishing that story times five, which is what we found out exactly happened to us. That story was so embellished, that comment was not what was said. And I'm just telling you, misunderstanding, to me, the Lord is just showing me, you see, you, that's a test, Tracy, that, that's going to hold you back from all that I have for you. You cannot be offended. You cannot, let, you cannot let somebody provoke you to wrath. And how many times have I tried to tell you that? How many of us in this room tonight have been provoked to wrath by gossip or slander that somebody else said, so-and-so said about you. I mean, I live with an eighth-grade girl. Please, that is a daily occurrence. we got to rise above that, y'all. I'm 48 years old. God has got great things for me to do, and I'm not saying that boastfully. God has got great things for you to do. Will we or will we not pass these tests? I'm determined I'm going to pass, and I'm going to examine my heart this week. Please do that with yours. Take that home and ask the Lord to show you. What's in your heart? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for what you've done tonight. I thank you for the revelation that's come forth. Lord, it wasn't my words, but Lord, it was yours. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to give us tests. Lord, you love us enough to chastise us. Lord, you're the, the best professor ever because you teach us, you give us opportunity to learn, and then you test us. Lord, I want to go on to the next level. I want to go on to graduate school. I want to go on to my doctorate in spiritual things. And Lord, that's only going to come through some great tests. Lord, prepare my heart. Prepare every heart in this room, Lord, that we would examine ourselves. We would look at the areas where we have failed recently. Look back over those math problems just like Kaylin's having to do tonight. Look back over those math problems because there's a retake on Friday. Lord, you're going to give us a retake. And Lord, we're going to pass it this time. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name.